We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go. Episode 624 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Wednesday, August 2nd, 2023. The one year anniversary of the Nationals trading outfielder Juan Soto to the San Diego Padres. A trade that will be debated for years to come. The Soto trade happened on the day of the 2022 MLB trade deadline. We on Tuesday had the 2023 MLB trade deadline. The Nats did not make another trade, so their only trade leading up to this year's deadline ended up being Monday evening's trade of third baseman Jamer Candelario to the Chicago Cubs for two prospects. The Orioles on Tuesday, however, did make a trade. They acquired St. Louis Cardinals starting pitcher Jack Flaherty. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. area sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday, each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. Never forget, this is the podcast that follows D.C. area sports so that you don't have to. It's a very simple arrangement. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday night did lose uh, a 6-4 loss to the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park as starting pitcher Josiah Gray had maybe his worst outing of the season, five runs in three and two-thirds innings. The O's on Tuesday night won a 13-3 win at the Toronto Blue Jays. Right fielder Anthony Santander, three for four with a grand slam, two singles and a walk. Starting pitcher Kyle Bradish, three runs in seven innings, seven strikeouts versus one walk. I will talk Nats and Doze later in the show, but coming up next segment, a special treat. One of my most favorite guests, the GOAT of NFL analytics, Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. You know, Warren has been at the forefront, at the vanguard of the analytics revolution in the NFL for years, and he is going to spend a lot of time with us on this show talking commanders. Prepare yourself for high IQ, high level insight 
on so many things with our football team. Uh, Warren will tell us about the possibilities for the commanders to become a leader in the NFL's analytics movement with a lead owner who is big on analytics and managing partner Josh Harris. Warren will talk about quarterback Sam Howell. Warren will explain in great detail where our head coach, Rod Rivera, has got wrong with Washington's offense, including the team's, uh, shall we say, flawed (laughs) offensive approach last season. Warren will discuss a fascinating change in offense in the NFL in general right now. Uh, Warren will provide even more reason for you to be excited about corner Emmanuel Forbes. Warren Sharp, the GOAT of NFL Analytics, next segment with a deep dive on the Commanders. Uh, Before we get to some feedback, I have some uh, scheduled fun for you right now. Uh, So the Commanders at their Tuesday morning training camp practice, what was a padded practice, more on that next segment, uh, had as a special guest a Commanders fan named Melba. Uh, Not to be confused with Mova from Seinfeld many years ago. No, Melba. Uh, Melba, a woman who was celebrating her 99th birthday. How about that? And so in a great moment, the commander's number 99, edge defender Chase Young, knelt down next to Melba, uh, who was seated in a chair, and led players in a singing of happy birthday. And then, uh, while happy birthday was being sung, Emmanuel Forbes came by and knelt down with a cake for Melba. Take a listen. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Melba. Happy birthday to you. Let's go. Take a wish. Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah. It's your cake right here. Look. Oh, like that. Hey, where the plates at? Yeah, and the very end, <laughs> right there, was my favorite part. Chase Young asking, "Where the plates at, man?" Hey, where the plates at? I don't know why, but when I heard Chase Young say that, that cracked me up. Where the plates at, man? You know, we just sung Melba happy birthday. She's 99. She's not getting any younger. We all want some cake. Where the plates at, man? Hey, where the plates at? (laughs) Yeah, where the plates at, man? You know, maybe that can become a mantra. For this commander season. Where the plates at, man? Uh, anyway, happy birthday to Melba and a very nice gesture uh, by our football team on Tuesday morning. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. More feedback on the issue of the name of our football team, especially off our conversation on Monday's show, episode 622, about the increased signs that another name change is coming and the uh, rather interesting uptick in usage of the word Redskins, right? The press conference for the Josh Harris Group at FedEx Field on July 21st. Our managing partner, Josh Harris, his top two limited partners, Mitchell Rails and Magic Johnson, uh, each guy during that presser said Redskins. Uh, Head coach Ron Rivera 
during his post-training camp practice press conference this past Friday morning talking about the Phoenix Suns. Kevin Durant, proud native of Prince George's County, Maryland, being at Friday morning's practice. Ron called Durant, quote, a Washington Redskins slash Commander fan, end quote. Uh, Ron could have just said Commander's fan, could have just said Washington fan, but he said, quote, a Washington Redskins slash Commander fan, end quote. By the way, we on Tuesday morning during Ron's post-training camp practice press conference had this exchange between Commander's insider Matthew Paris of the Washington Times and Ron. Just following up on kind of the what you were just saying about the former name the other day, is you said it was kind of hard to escape it, and I'm wondering if you could kind of expand on that thought. Is it just that there are so many former players who played for this franchise for Redskins? Well, I think it's a big part. I mean, again, remember 1932 is when this all started, so it's one of those things where, you know, I think it gets ingrained, and, and there's a lot of people that, you know, that still hold on to it. And, and again, you know, and again, just understand it is with all due respect that we do. And, and that's the one thing, if anybody ever brings it up or talks about, you know, the previous name, it's, it's with, with, with tr- tremendous amount of, uh, of respect and admiration. So there you go. For whatever it's worth, uh, Ron Rivera right there did not actually say the word Redskins. Uh, He gave a similar answer to what he said in response to a similar question uh, from his post-training camp practice press conference from this past Friday morning. Anyway, email from Philip C., the MD, writes Philip. Here's how we get the name back once and for all. The team can announce ahead of time that the name will be changing. For instance, the team could make that announcement sometime over the next few months with the timeline of announcing a new name beginning in the 2024 season. However, this time, we pay homage to our Native American brothers and sisters, and we commission the collective peoples of our indigenous nations to select a name for our football team. In other words, we give Native Americans and only Native Americans the honor of selecting the name and in a democratic process organized and executed by Native Americans only. Yes, this is easier said than done, but dot, dot, dot. If we were to take this gamble with the data that we already have in hand, Washington Post poll, Pew Center data, Naga petition, etc., we could feel quite confident that the name selected would eventually be Redskins, and the name would be selected by those who matter the most in this conversation. The crux of this would be extensively publicizing the democratic nature of this process and the exclusivity to Native Americans. Only with adequate publicity and integrity of process would the media allow this to evade cancel culture. And then we could cheer for our Redskins proudly again without feeling like bad people. I'm out West and a lot of folks out here just don't get this issue. Again, easier said than done, but it could be the only way to get this done. Uh, Thank you for the email, Philip. Uh, I'm not sure how doable uh, what Philip is suggesting is, but I do like the idea of putting the power in the hands of actual Native Americans. As I have said many times, it is their opinion that truly matters when it comes to the name Redskins. The rest of us, of course, are allowed to have our opinions, but the opinions that should dictate whether the name Redskins is offensive are those of, yes, actual Native Americans, uh, like the people of Naga, the Native American Guardians Association. Uh, We, on episode 609 of this podcast, had a terrific conversation with Eunice Davidson and Tony Andrews of Naga, a nonprofit Native American organization advocating for the commanders to go back 
to the name Redskins. And Naga, since appearing on this podcast, has been on fire. Uh, Naga now has an online petition of tens of thousands of signatures of people who want the name of the team to go back to Redskins. The petition at last check was approaching 50,000 signatures. Email from Sterling Porter, CPA. Uh oh. Uh, Sterling, I already paid my estimated taxes for the year, man. Uh, <laughs> right, Sterling. Just listen to your pod from Monday concerning the name change. You mentioned how the ownership and leadership are saying the name Redskins with much more regularity. It would appear to me that these people could be doing this to see what the reaction will be. If there is not a ton of backlash, I do believe that our new leaders could be open to taking the name of the team back to Redskins. However, there has been some recent outrage, at least in this attached article. And Sterling then provides a link to a piece by Deadspin. (laughs) Continue Sterling. I don't read Deadspin often, so not sure how Deadspin covered the name controversy in 2020. What I can see is that the comments from readers of the article seem to be majority pro-Redskins. My thoughts on the name are congruent with yours. It should be Native Americans deciding this. And if the team does want to go back To that name, the team needs to make sure that Native Americans are front and center or at least have good representation on the matter. As always, love the pod. Keep up the good work and praying for your continued success. Well, thank you very much for that, Sterling. Uh, Yeah, so Deadspin. Deadspin at one time was a good site. Deadspin at one time was a funny, irreverent, insightful site. Deadspin now is a shell of what Deadspin once was. And Deadspin now has a lot of pieces that engage in big time race baiting. Okay, this moronic piece that Sterling linked to, okay, and look, I don't blame Sterling for sending me this link. I'm just saying this piece is moronic, okay? This moronic piece equates the word Redskins with the N word. Yeah, (laughs) Deadspin makes that lame argument. And that to me has always been one of the worst takes in this Redskins name debate. If you are against the name of the team being Redskins, that's fine. There are reasonable reasons to feel that way, okay? As I have said many times, this is an issue on which reasonable people can disagree. But the equating of the word Redskins with the N-word is so over-the-top bad and so misses the point on so many things with this conversation. You would never in a million years have a group representing black people advocating for the name of a team to go back to being the N-words, the way that we have Naga advocating for the name of the team to go back to being Redskins. You would never in a million years have an online petition approaching 50,000 signatures for the name of a team to go back to being the N-words. The two words aren't comparable, but you know, this is what Deadspin does now, okay? Deadspin has become this trash race baiting website. And it's a shame because Deadspin used to have a lot of good stuff. Uh, Not no more. Well, an entity that has only grown better with time uh, is the great law firm of Paulson and Nace. Uh, Paulson and Nace was founded in 1979. And Paulson and Nace is in the business of fighting for justice for personal injury and medical malpractice plaintiffs. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. 
Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace fights for victims of all kinds of situations, including victims of errors made during diagnosis, during surgery, or with medication, victims of injuries caused by dangerous medications or medical devices, as well as defective auto parts, victims of accidents involving cars, trucks, bikes, or motorcycles, victims of deceptive trade practices and false advertising, heck, victims of shady lawyers. Uh, If your attorney acts in bad faith, is unethical in his or her counsel, or is negligent in his or her work, you could have a claim for legal malpractice. Paulson and Nace has represented corporate clients throughout the region. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Uh, If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged, but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. You have nothing to lose. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandace.com. That's paulsonandace.com. Just don't forget to tell Paulson and Ace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Ace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Ace. Well, as the commanders on Tuesday morning posted via what was previously known as Twitter and now is known as X, uh, Tuesday was F-DOP Day. Yeah, you know, F-DOP Day. F-DOP. F-D-O-P. F-DOP. First day of pads. Uh, We on Tuesday morning (laughs) had the first padded practice of 2023 Commander's Training Camp as fans. Uh, We're back to being in attendance, of having not been in attendance for Monday morning's training camp practice. Uh, The highlight of Tuesday morning's practice was a sensational catch by receiver Terry McLaurin, who on a deep route down the right sideline made this diving forward catch on which he, with his right hand, tipped the ball back to himself. Uh, Quarterback Sam Howell continues to have a mixed training camp. The reviews of how Sam is doing have been all over the place. You can find people saying that Sam's doing well. Uh, You also can find people saying that Sam does not look so good. Uh, We on Tuesday morning had assistant head coach slash offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy making the offense redo some huddles. He at one point shouted, and I quote, set the effing tone, end quote. Uh, The commander's secondary, by all accounts, is having an excellent training camp so far. No surprise. And that is something to keep in mind with Sam, right? Not only is he a young quarterback learning a new offense, but he's practicing against a defense that could be, hopefully will be, uh, one of the best in the NFL this coming season. We also, on Tuesday morning, had the continued rise of this guy, Mason Brooks. Mason Brooks is an offensive lineman, an undrafted free agent out of Ole Miss. He reportedly was a priority undrafted free agent signing by the Commanders in the 2023 offseason. And Mason Brooks has a real shot of making the team's initial 53-man roster. Brooks, on Tuesday morning, abused interior defensive lineman Fedarian Mathis in one-on-one drills, including putting Mathis on the ground. 
at one point. Uh, well, it is a true pleasure and honor to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast right now a very special guest. He is an NFL analytics pioneer. Uh, he is a man whose work I reference often. He is the great Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com. Uh, Warren is the author of an outstanding book, The Sharp Football Analysis 2023 Football Preview, 500 plus pages of joy, of in-depth analysis and commentary on all 32 NFL teams. You can get the book at sharpfootballanalysis.com. You can follow Warren on Twitter, or is it the X? I'm not sure. Uh, at sharpfootball. Uh, Warren, it is awesome to talk to you again. How are you? I'm not as good as you. Uh, obviously, you got the new ownership group in there, and everybody is super jacked. There's going to help the team in a variety of ways. It's going to help the fans in a variety of ways. So the future is bright in D.C. for the first time uh, in you know a couple of decades, I think you could probably say, after the initial uh, luster wore off of Dan Snyder and those teams started to falter after he came in and tried to do some things early on. Um, I'm certainly excited to see what that ultimate result is and where the, this team can go. Uh, but I'm just jacked about, A, finishing the book, having it out there, letting people read it and consume it. Uh, B, training camps have started up. I love this time of year. I hate the injury aspect of it because we know these soft tissue injuries always are at their worst these first you know, seven to ten days of camps once guys are starting to ramp back up. Uh, but see, I'm certainly glad to come on different shows and talk about teams and expectations. And yours is one of my favorite stops. So I'm really looking forward to talking a little bit of Commander's Ball with you today. I appreciate that very much. Uh, yeah, there is no overstating the hope that has been restored with our football team via it being sold. So the new managing partner, Josh Harris, he is big on analytics. He is known to spend on infrastructure. I'm really hoping that he builds up the commanders to where they become one of the teams at the forefront of the analytics movement in the NFL. I want my team to be smart, Warren. Uh, you have a great grasp on where the NFL is in terms of analytics. Is there still ample opportunity for an NFL team that truly embraces analytics to find and exploit competitive advantages and market inefficiencies. Yeah, I think that's a that's an understatement if anything. Um there's a lot of opportunities with incorporating intelligent uh, analytical usage at a variety of processes at all touch points that you can imagine. Um most teams I think I, you say like half the league, maybe, maybe 40% feels like they're doing a good job. And even those teams can probably do better. And then there's the rest of the league, which probably realizes that they could do a little bit better and they could actually do a lot better. And I would cast, uh, classify Washington is one of those teams. I mean, look, whether we are talking about player acquisition and all the things that happen, you know, the vast majority of the year because the season is very small in terms of timing. But then you get into the season and it's everything, you know, visiting different teams and working with them and talking to guys on staffs and being given different opportunities myself. Uh, like they are, he there's heavy analytical movement in just, um, training the players and monitoring the players and accessing the players eating and sleeping and all these different habits that they have and and they crunching data and looking at graphics as it results you know from when the guys aren't even on campus and then you talk about actually 
game planning and strategizing for upcoming opponents, as well as in-game decision-making, in-game adjustments, tactical changes that you need to uh, deploy in games based upon what's happening in the initial part of those games. Um, there's just so much that analytics will help various different teams. And so Washington certainly in a good spot there. I've definitely heard a lot of good things about the new ownership group and their usage of analytics. And, you know, I can assure you that, you know, some of the things that Washington was doing last year definitely could have improved with a heavier focus on analytics. Yeah, and trust me, we are going to be getting to those things. But I know that you have felt some wrath from Commanders fans for your rankings of the Commanders positional units in your chapter on the team in the book. The Commanders are the only team ranked 20th or worse in every offensive unit category. Quarterbacks, 32nd, i.e. dead last in the NFL. Offensive line, 30th in the NFL. Running backs, 29th in the NFL. Receivers are 20th in the NFL. Uh, The defense does fare better. Front seven, fourth in the NFL. Secondary, 14th in the NFL. But obviously, in this day and age of offense leading the way in the NFL, ranking 20th or worse in every offensive unit category is not good. Do you see a realistic path by which the commanders this coming season are good offensively? It's going to entirely come down to Sam Howell and how he works with Eric Bieniemy. I mean, the, these, it's so hard. It's like such a symbiotic relationship. The, the quarterback and his OC, um, oftentimes like you, you look at like quarterback rankings and where do these guys rank statistically? And it's very hard to separate out the offense coordinator from the quarterback. Um, oftentimes, you know, a really good offense coordinator is going to play to the strengths of his quarterback. Uh, try to minimize the weaknesses and across the board, even Andy Reid did this for Patrick Mahomes, make life as easy as possible for this quarterback. Doesn't matter if he's the best quarterback in the universe. Doesn't matter if he's the best quarterback that the game potentially has ever seen. Making life easy for him so that he doesn't have to play Superman 40% of the game, 30% of the game, that he only has to bring out that cape maybe 10% of the game and can otherwise let other guys make plays because being quarterback in the NFL is not only taxing physically, but also mentally. And to have some of those plays off where you can just complete an easy pass and your O-line is then getting out in space and helping block and you're getting a ton of yards after the catch, or there's these, you know, uh, occasional handoffs that you can get that just the quarterback can relax a little bit and let his brain and his body calm down to get ready for the next play. Um, you know, Washington, we'll talk about it momentarily, but, you know, obviously ran too much and had too many of those types of run plays that didn't really do anything and gave the quarterback some time off. But there's a balance there that needs to be had. Um, I think if Biennemi brings in an intelligent offensive scheme, and Sam Howe is up to the task of executing it. And we'll get into a discussion about passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. I was actually just tweeting out some stats about this like 45 minutes ago before we did this interview about the difference between what Kansas City was doing and what Washington was doing last year and some of the efficiencies therein. But that's the path to success because I believe that your best group offensively is your receiving core. Um, I do have questions about the running back core, even though I know Brian Robinson is a fan favorite. Um, and the offensive line has a lot to prove. And so 
Like, I don't believe, you know, I, I, we don't really need to go here, but, um, I don't believe that the goal for the Ron Rivera tenure here was to have a fifth round quarterback starting in this season of his tenure. Like, to me, the whole tenure of Ron Rivera has gone massively sideways. And this is just kind of what we're backed into and what we're going to have to deal with this season and try to get something out of it and just see what Sam has to offer. And that's why it's unknown yet. I'm keeping my mind open. But if I had to rank them right now, I certainly don't have high expectations. And uh, that's the hard part to me is because the NFC in general as a conference is so much more open than the AFC is. However, the NFC East is relatively loaded. And I don't really know that there's a path for Washington to do anything better this year than third place. Um, being very realistic and as as kind of um, unbiased as, as I possibly can. I think there's realistic worlds where Washington can play even a little bit better than they did last year, but they're going up against a more difficult schedule. And in addition to that, like they have a difficult division, they might end up finishing in fourth place, but play better football this season with a better offensive scheme um, and better quarterback production. So let's talk Ron Rivera. Uh, another ranking for the commanders that you have in your chapter on the team in the book is a 28 out of 32 NFL teams in head coach. <laughs> uh, we are entering year four for Ron Rivera as Washington head coach. He has Washington head coach has yet to have a winning regular season. You spent a lot of time writing about where the team is under Ron, especially offensively, as the team with Ron has continued to have major quarterback instability. And the team last season had this brutal combination of being very run heavy, but also being bad at the run. Uh, What do you make of what has gone down with Washington offensively under Ron Rivera? Yeah, this is a a big frustration. And we could probably talk for, you know, 20 minutes about this. I'll try to avoid doing that. But Ron Rivera is a defensive-minded head coach. And the concern with the defensive-minded head coach in general is that he wants his defense to look good because that's why he was brought to town. And he'll sacrifice some things offensively in order to help the defense look a little bit better, potentially. And oftentimes, some of these defensive-minded head coaches, what they tend to sacrifice is a quarterback dropping back to pass the ball um, and trying to score quickly. And in lieu of that, they try to control the football, run the football, have time of possession because they feel like that's going to drive the defense to get their rest and to then be able to play better. And it's such an old school thought process. Um, And last year, look, Washington executed it to a T. They had the most time of possession of any football team since 2019. They controlled the ball for over 33 minutes per game, over six more minutes than their opponent, but the offense averaged 0.57 points per minute. That ranked 31st in the NFL. They gained fewer than 10 yards for every minute that they had the football. And as you mentioned, they were extremely, extremely run heavy in the first half of games, which is the most important half in football coming in from behind late. is great. And you need to be able to close out games too. So I can't say that the second, you know, the second half or the fourth quarter isn't vitally important, but 
building a lead in the first half and being up at halftime dictates so much of what happens in that second half based upon adjustments that your opponent must make that helps your defense inherently when your opponent becomes more one-dimensional if they are trailing that allows your defense to be able to predict the plays that the offense is going to call and that is the single number one biggest edge for a defense is if an offense is predictable because the offenses and the rule construct that currently exists is so skewed to allow the offenses to have success that the only thing that holds holds them back is if they're too predictable the only way you can get them predictable is to have a lead for your own team and then that opposing offense is more predictable uh you guys ranked Number 32 in pass rate, dead last in the first half of games. Um, and so as a result, you're running the ball a ton. And these runs were abysmal. Early down runs uh, in the first half of games, you guys were the worst in the NFL. I think you ranked, um, uh, I'm trying to pull the numbers here, but everything was terrible about the rushing offense and the offense in general in the first half. And as a result, you guys were struggling to pull out and to get leads. And this really does relate a little bit to kind of like the philosophy of a defensive minded head coach like Ron Rivera, but backing out, you know, zooming back out from, from 2022, he hasn't delivered a single winning season in three years and he still hasn't figured out the quarterback position. So like those two things to me are like, I'm shocked that he's entering year four with like the, the the coaching stability that he currently has and the same power that he's had before and all the things that are still kind of in his corner going for him. Because if you haven't had a winning season in three years and you haven't even figured out your quarterback position, now you're pivoting to a fifth round quarterback who made what one start last year. That is absolutely not the direction that you would think would be stable Sort of, they got a scapegoat last year and getting rid of their offensive coordinator, Scott Turner. Um, but I think the change in ownership and the lack of kind of direction from the team last year definitely helped save Ron Rivera's job. I have no idea if this new ownership group is going to give him a, and you could provide insight to me here, give him a sort of a single year opportunity to fix things. And then, you know, they might pivot themselves after this upcoming year because they don't they didn't hire uh ron rivera and so they have no real ties to him ron rivera essentially by his own admission is on the hot seat uh he during a training camp press conference on july 25th admitted quote i've got a lot to prove end quote uh talking about having a lot to prove to josh harris uh much more with warren sharp in moments but you know, just like Josh Harris is going to change our football team for the better, Turf Center Lawns can change your lawn for the better. Uh, Turf Center Lawns offers a variety of residential and commercial landscaping services. It is a local, multi-generational family business serving Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. Turf Center Lawns offers lawn care programs that will make and keep your lawn lush and green. Turf Center Lawns is outstanding at handling water problems as well. Uh, intense summer storms. Uh, we know them well <laughs> in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, they can cause water and drainage problems for your home or business. Turf Center Lawns offers affordable and effective grading-based drainage solutions to prevent flooding, erosion, wet basements, and wet crawl spaces. Uh, also, if you are a coach, an athletic director, a booster, 
Know that turf center lawns can create, improve, and or maintain athletic fields. Uh, Turf Center Lawns will give you and your team a professional natural grass athletic field uh, and performs maintenance with a specializing in Bermuda grass fields. Turf Center Lawns installed the original Bermuda grass fields at a number of area venues, including the Commander's FedEx Field. When it opened as Jack Ken Cook Stadium in 1997, uh, Prince George's County Stadium, home of the Orioles AA affiliate, the Bowie Bay Sox, and Arthur W. Purdue Stadium, home of the Orioles Low A affiliate, the Delmarva Shorebirds. Uh, Turf Center Lawns also installs and rebuilds baseball and softball infields, batting cages, home putting greens, even bocce courts. Uh, If you have landscaping needs, drainage issues, or athletic field needs, contact Turf Center Lawns. Consultations and estimates are free. You have nothing to lose. Call 301-384-9300 or visit turfcenterlawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or turfcenterlawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. You know, the Turf Center Lawns team is comprised of experts in their field. Uh, They share a deep commitment to exceed customer expectations on every job, whether large or small. When you hire Turf Center Lawns, your satisfaction is guaranteed. Call 301-384-9300 or visit turfcenterlawns.com. That's 301-384-9300 or turfcenterlawns.com. And make sure that you tell Turf Center Lawns that Al Galdi sent you. More now with Warren Sharp of SharpFootballAnalysis.com, the author of the Sharp Football Analysis 2023 Football Preview. Uh, So Warren, what you referenced earlier on passes at or beneath lines of scrimmage uh, on Monday's show, episode 622, brought up a tweet that you had this past Friday morning. Quote, interesting to look at the difference between Kansas City and Washington as Eric Bieniemy now installs his offense in D.C. On passes at slash behind lines of scrimmage, Kansas City, number one in completion percentage, number one in EPA, expected points added per attempt, number two in yards per attempt, number six in total attempts, number one in touchdowns. Washington, number 25 in completion percentage, number 25 in EPA per attempt, number 29 in yards per attempt, number 17 in total attempts, number 31 in touchdowns, end quote. What is the significance of passes at or beneath lines of scrimmage in today's NFL? Well, it's important because with the advent of more too high shells, it's more difficult to pass to wide receivers down the field. Tight ends are now becoming more and more valuable going up and and, and, and finding avenues for success against two high shells. But your best offense are all of the wide receivers that you have. Um, Now, you need to still try to create some explosives, but the Kansas City Chiefs were the best team in the NFL last year at completing passes that were efficient at or behind the line of scrimmage. The Kansas City Chiefs, and obviously this is where Eric Bieniemy comes from, they ranked number one in completion percentage on passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. So let's first just say, yes, they do have Patrick Mahomes. Yes, he is the best quarterback in the NFL. However, we are literally talking about a pass thrown behind the line of scrimmage. Okay, the difference between Sam Howell and Patrick Mahomes on pinpoint passes thrown 25 yards down the field or moving out of the pocket and hitting something else down the field, regardless of target depth, is going to be night and day. 
However, a pass thrown behind the line of scrimmage, these two should be much closer to one another. So we want to see how much better Washington can get than they were last year. So let me get back to Kansas City. Number one in completion percentage, number one in EPA per attempt, number two in yards per attempt. They had the number six total attempts, most attempts thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage, and they had the most touchdown passes thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage. They got a lot of work done on passes that were easy for Mahomes. This is where I was talking about letting Mahomes Obviously, he's he's processing pre-snap, getting into the right looks, but quick, simple passes, get the ball out of his hands. Players aren't going to hit him. Players are going to pressure him, and he can take a little mental rep off after he dumps the ball out. They did that a lot, and they were brilliant at it, like top two, top one in most all of these statistics. Washington, on the other hand, did not throw a single touchdown pass at or behind the line of scrimmage that ranked number 31 they were there was only one other team that was tied with them uh as you know number 31 basically worst in the league uh 25th in completion rate on passes thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage 25th in epa per attempt 29th in yards per attempt and they were league average in terms of total attempts thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage and, and very similar in terms of percentage of passes thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage so they, it's not like they weren't doing it at all last year. They did it about an average rate, but they were horrific when they were doing it. And so the quarterback and the receivers have to do better at executing these simple, straightforward passes. And the offensive line, like, keep in mind, this is a team game, especially when you throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. The offensive line has to be athletic enough and good enough to get out there to help block. Otherwise, you could have, like the Chiefs, the number six total attempts thrown at or behind the line of scrimmage, but you're not going to rank number one in EPA per attempt or number two in yards per attempt. You might have a good completion rate, and you might have a lot of attempts, but if you're not getting blocking support from some of the other receivers or some of the offensive linemen out there, you're not going to have you know top-of-the-league efficiency. And so... I expect Washington to increase. Like if, if there's one thing you take away from this, uh, hopefully there's a few, but one of them is going to be that I expect Washington will throw more balls behind the line of scrimmage than they did last year. And hopefully those passes are far more efficient than they were for Washington last year, where they were basically ranking, you know, bottom eight in the NFL. And anyone who watched the commanders last season is not surprised uh, by that, given uh, how woeful our team was at uh, screen passes last season. Uh, you referenced the proliferation of the too high shell look, something that I talked to you about toward the end of our conversation last summer. Uh, and that conversation took place on episode 357, for those of you who'd like to listen uh, to that chat. Uh, was the proper way to view rushing offense in the modern NFL? Uh, you said that things were perhaps changing with rushing offense due to how defenses were playing the pass. Uh, well, you nailed it. And sure enough, we, for the 2022 NFL regular season, had the lowest overall yards per completion of all time and the highest overall yards per rush of all time. What do you make of that? Yeah, it's the solution. It's the answer. It's the checkmate for offenses against these defenses. And I think it's going to continue. I think, you know, they showed their hand, right? Defenses showed their hand and it was like, okay, offense is never going to be the same. Um, and 
teams like like it stifled a little bit to an extent the Kansas City Chiefs. It stifled a little bit to an extent the Cincinnati Bengals. And then they figured it out. Like both of these teams started to figure it out. And I think the rest of the league is going to take their cues from these other teams. And that is it. Okay, you don't have to keep pushing the ball down the field like you once were. Uh, passes, it's actually advantageous to get rid of the ball quickly. In fact, I have a statistic. I don't remember the exact numbers, but on average, when Patrick Mahomes throws the ball, let's say in like two and a half seconds or less in a game, in those games, he's like 42 and one. <laughs> but when he's forced to hold on to the ball on average for higher than that, and, and just, you know, like this is one thing that uh, the Cincinnati Bengals and Lou Anarumo did so well against him in several of their games is force him to hold the ball. Well, then the team's record drops way down. Um, And so one of the factors here is just get rid of the ball quickly, design an offense that can attack things underneath, and also another way to have success against the two-high shell is twofold. Number one, slightly increased run rate, but using it in a tactical manner. You still want to run the ball when it's most advantageous to run the ball. When are those times? It's basically, I'd say, threefold. It used to be twofold. I'm going to adjust it now because I expect more out of these quarterbacks. I expect more out of these offensive coordinators to give a better responsibility to the quarterbacks. So I'll throw the last one in. The first one is short yardage situations. That's pretty obvious. The second one is down inside of the red zone, which you can spread the field. Don't run the ball unless it's super short yardage, uh, which I still think that there's sometimes better ways to attack that. I hate nothing more than, you know, offense trots out there and jumbo personnel on like a a third and two. And it's clear as day that they're going to be running the football and then they just hand it off and get stuffed because there's, you know, 10 men in the box, but be that as it may, uh, inside the red zone. And then when there's a light box count, right? Like your quarterback needs to be assessing whether or not we have a man-on-man advantage, hat-on-hat advantage to be able to run the football here, or if we don't. And you shouldn't be running the ball when the defense has got too many men in the box, especially on early downs, especially in the situations that aren't the first two buckets, which are short yardage or uh, red zone. So there is opportunities to run the ball when defenses pull a guy out of the box and play the two high shell. That's the first way to kind of like combat this aside from just throwing the ball a little bit shorter and underneath. Um, the other way to, to do that is to play a little bit more 12 personnel, which forces the defense to adjust. They can't hang back. You will then have more opportunities to have a blocker advantage if you're using 12 and they do hang back for you to run the football if you need to. Um, and secondly, Tight ends do have advantages and can get into the holes in this defense a little bit easier, a little bit quicker, um, and a little bit higher completion rate as well as higher success rate and more EPA per attempt. I wrote a little bit about this this past offseason. So um, this is the checkmate for offenses, uh, some of the best in the league, some of the smartest. This is thing like, you know, in the NFL – you can you can cheat on the test, right? In the NFL, you can uh, get great cliff notes if you want to, and br- and bring them to the test. It's like a it's like an open book test. But you can sit next to the smartest guy in the class, and you can actually read off of his test as well. You can do both things. Like teams aren't prepared enough, like with their cliff notes. In my opinion, most teams for games and 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 to strategize for the season. But 
you can also look off the guy's paper right next to you. And that's where you can look at what Andy Reid did in these situations. Look at what some of the best offensive minds did and copy off of those things. There's no, is not looking bad against you for stealing from another coach. And so, uh, it was hard for Andy to figure it out initially. They then figured it out. And the Chiefs actually last year, the reason we talk about the Chiefs, number one, they're the best offense in the league. But number two, like Eric Bieniemy now calling your offense. But you got the, the Chiefs became more explosive without Tyreek Hill. How does that happen? How does a higher percentage of passes gain 10 yards or 20 yards last year against two high shells and without Tyreek Hill? Well, it's because they figured out how to attack these two high shell defenses. Um, and I don't think anybody would have thought that coming into the season last year. That's why the Buffalo Bills were the Super Bowl favorites last year. And the Kansas City Chiefs were like slight afterthought at the upper echelon. They were still there, but they didn't have the glitter that they had in prior years. It's just, oh my gosh, do I shell? They don't have Tyreek. They're not going to be explosive. How are they going to operate this offense? They ended up operating it more efficiently and more explosively last year. So there are answers now. It's a little bit different. It's shorter passes, higher completion rate, some a little bit more behind the line of scrimmage, although you don't want to do that too frequently unless you can design offense that gains yak, such as Kyle Shanahan, such as Andy Reid. Um, and then it's running a little bit more when there's fewer defenders in the box and using a little bit more 12 personnel. That is fascinating. The game of chess in the NFL, always so interesting. One more for you. The commander's defense has added 2023 first round pick Emmanuel Forbes, uh, a corner at a Mississippi State. Forbes over three seasons at Mississippi State generated 14 interceptions in 36 games. He left college number one among active FBS players in career interceptions, and he left college as the FBS's all-time leader in career pick sixes with six. A big part of the commander's drafting Forbes is wanting to get more takeaways. Now, Football analytics, of course, have shown us that takeaways so often are random and fluky and can't be counted on season to season or even game to game. That said, are you a believer that there are some defensive backs with a particular aptitude for producing takeaways or is that not a real thing? No, I I think it is a real thing. A nose for the ball, they say uh, just instincts. Um, It in part relates to how closely you can cover a defender, uh, sometimes how good you are at baiting a quarterback into a throw. It's fil- It's like the desire to study film, study that tape, and understand what the quarterback's tendencies are, what the offense's tendencies are in certain situations. Um, and, then, and then it's like, you know, physical build at times definitely helps uh, certain guys. It's quickness, it's reaction speed. There's a lot that goes into it, but no doubt about it. There are players that are uh, better at this than others, you know? Um, and I think all those things that I just mentioned play into it. Um, and you know, you, you just mentioned like we, we can, if you could build a model, it simply was extremely accurate at predicting turnover margin in a game. You wouldn't have to factor in any other statistic <laughs> and you'd probably make more money betting on the NFL than anybody else who did factor in all the other statistics if you were good at because that's how vital turnover margin is to winning games in football um and so getting those interceptions when you weren't getting those interceptions last year 
would make a big difference for Washington. Now, the reality is how many realistically are you still going to get? But bringing in a guy who's got a history and a track record of doing that, um, it's, it is exciting. And hopefully he can replicate some of that at this level. Would be great to see that. Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com, the author of the Sharp Football Analysis 2023 Football Preview, which is outstanding. You can get the book at sharpfootballanalysis.com. Warren, uh, thank you so much for your time and all the best to you. Hey, thanks, Al. Good luck this year and uh, happy for you guys with the new ownership group. We appreciate that. The great Warren Sharp. I hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Warren. Uh, If you have like 20 seconds, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. Uh, You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated. And you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. can be just a sentence or two, but the ratings and the reviews help us out a lot. Uh, So thank you very much for doing them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Ready for a spring break to remember? Amtrak's got just a ticket for you and your crew. With share fares, you and your friends can save up to 60%. The more who travel, the more you save. Skip the hassle of driving through the Northeast while exploring DC, Philly, New York, and Boston. No middle seats and plenty of legroom are just an Amtrak away. And with stops right in the heart of your favorite cities, you'll arrive downtown, not out of town. Savings start with three travelers. Eight travelers required for 60% discount. Visit Amtrak.com slash sharefares to book. Restrictions may apply. Well, it turns out that the Nationals did not make any more trades prior to the 2023 MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern. Uh, The Nats on Monday evening announced that they had traded third baseman Jamer Candelario to the Chicago Cubs for two prospects, but that ended up being it for the Nats as uh, sellers this year. Uh, The likes of outfielder Lane Thomas and reliever Kyle Finnegan are still on the Nats, who on Tuesday afternoon did announce having claimed lefty reliever Robert Garcia off waivers from the Miami Marlins. So there was that. You know, it's unfortunate that the Nats this season have not had uh, success with veteran free agent acquisitions from this past offseason other than Jamer Candelario. Uh, The Nats this past offseason signed starting pitcher Trevor Williams and first baseman Dominic Smith and outfielder Corey Dickerson as free agents. In addition to Candelario, uh, Williams got a two-year contract. Smith and Dickerson each got a one-year contract. All three could have been legitimate trade chips this season, but uh, all three did not perform well enough to be legitimate trade chips. Uh, And so now comes the rest of what is steamrolling toward being a fourth 
consecutive losing regular season for the Nats. Uh, they lost to the Milwaukee Brewers 6-4 at Nationals Park on Tuesday night to fall to 45-63. and Second worst record in the National League. Uh, very disappointing outing for starting pitcher Josiah Gray. I've talked about how Gray, even in this overall big-time step-forward season form, uh, has been putting a lot of guys on base and has been pitch inefficient. Uh, well, these problems uh, were major problems for Josiah Gray on Tuesday night. He, in this game, lasted for just three and two-thirds innings. That was it. Uh, he allowed five runs in three and two-thirds innings. He gave up four hits, a double, and three singles. He issued three walks. He recorded three strikeouts. He over his three and two-thirds innings through a whopping 81 pitches. Uh, nothing was worse for Gray Then the top of the fourth, Josiah Gray in the top of the fourth on Tuesday night allowed four runs on three walks and two, two out, two run singles. He in the inning threw 37 pitches. Uh, Gray issued a one out four pitch walk of Willie Adamas. Gray issued a one out walk of Sal Freelich, despite Freelich having been down in the count at 1.12. Gray issued a two out five pitch walk of Andrew Monasterio. Uh, Gray gave up a two-out, two-run single by the Brewers' number eight batter, Bryce Terang, up the middle to tie the game at three, despite Terang having been down in the count at 1.02. And Terang then had an uncontested two-out steal of second base. And Gray gave up a two-out, two-run opposite field single by the Brewers' number nine batter, Joey Weimer, to right field for a 5-3 Brewers lead to conclude a 10-pitch plate appearance in which Weimer had been down in the count at one point, one, two. So multiple put away opportunities for Josiah Gray in this top of the fourth, but Gray did not put the guys away. And those two, two out, two run singles were by the Brewers numbers eight and nine batters. Rough outing for Josiah Gray on Tuesday night. He now in this 2023 regular season, 22 starts, ERA a 354, but a whip of 143 and a walks per nine innings of 4.2. The Nats bullpen did do a nice job of keeping the Nats in the game. Uh, Four Nats relievers combined to allow one run in five and a third innings. Uh, Andres Machado tossed one and a third perfect innings. Amos Willingham allowed a run in two innings. He tossed a perfect top of the sixth, but then allowed a run in the top of the seventh. Hobie Harris, a scoreless top of the eighth. Joe LaSorsa, a perfect top of the ninth. So the bullpen did its part, but the offense ended up not doing its part. Uh, The Nats for the game did score four runs, went three for seven with runners in scoring position, but the Nats also in this game totaled just seven hits and worked just two walks. Uh, Two Nats had multi-hit games, but each of these guys also got thrown out on the base paths. Uh, Talking about C.J. Abrams and Dominic Smith, Abrams as the Nats starting shortstop and number one batter went two for four with a double and a two-run single. Uh, He and the Nats three-run second had a two-out bases loaded two-run single to right field for a 3-1 Nats lead. Uh, But Abrams got tagged out the third out in trying to retreat back to first base. And uh, Abrams in the bottom of the fifth had a one-out double to right field on a 1-2 pitch. So overall, another productive game from C.J. Abrams, who has been so good lately. Uh, And Dominic Smith, he on Tuesday night as an at-starting first baseman and number four batter, went two for four with two singles and a stolen base. So Smith in that Nats three-run second, had a leadoff infield single on a weekly hit ball toward third base on a 1-2 pitch. And he had a steal of third base, if you could believe that. Uh, and Smith, in the bottom of the third, had a two-out single up the middle, but he got thrown out at home 
uh, on a Kbert Ruiz two-out single to right field for the third out. Uh, the Nats, as expected, have called up Jake Alou. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon recalled infielder slash outfielder Jake Alou from AAA Rochester. So he is your Jamer Candelario replacement uh, with perhaps some Eldemaro Vargas at third base as well. Alou on Tuesday night was the Nats starting third baseman and number eight battery. Went one for three with an RBI single, a stolen base. Uh, did strike out twice, but Jake Alou in that Nats three-run second had a two-out RBI single up the middle. Tatata gave it one. Uh, this for his first major league regular season RBI. Andalou had a steal of second base. Jake Alou is an interesting guy. This season is his age 26 season. The Nats took him out of Boston College in the 24th round of the 2019 MLB draft, but he has hit his way into the majors. I mean, you get taken in the 24th round of an MLB draft. Uh, you have to force your way into the majors. Uh, Jake Alou has done that, and he has done that with his bat. Alou last season, over 567 plate appearances for AA Harrisburg and AAA Rochester, had an OPS of 871. And Alou this season for Rochester, over 330 plate appearances, had an OPS of 788. Uh, He was called up to the majors by the Nats twice back in May, but uh, he now would seem to be back up at the major league level for good uh, the rest of this season. So let's see what Jake Alou has got. Uh, Game three for the Nats against the Brewers Wednesday afternoon at 105. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. So the Orioles, prior to the 2023 MLB trade deadline on Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern, did make a trade for a starting pitcher. Uh, No, not the New York Mets' Justin Verlander, who had come up regarding the O's quite a bit. Uh, No, not for the Detroit Tigers' Michael Lorenzen, who had come up regarding the O's quite a bit. Uh, Rather, the O's traded for the St. Louis Cardinals' Jack Flaherty. Uh, The O's got Flaherty for three prospects. You know, I never wanted the O's to significantly mortgage the future for this season. The O's are loaded with promising young talent at the major league and minor league levels. The O's are positioned to be good for years to come. It would have been foolish to disrupt that for the sake of one season, especially considering that the history of these MLB trade deadline rental acquisitions for contending teams is so mixed. Uh, My thing with anything that the O's do right now is this. In Mike Elias, I trust. In Orioles, Executive Vice President and General Manager Mike Elias, I trust. And so as long as he's good with doing this deal for Jack Flaherty uh, and didn't want to do something else but was nixed by ownership, uh, then I'm good. If doing what the O's ended up doing regarding the MLB trade deadline was what Mike Elias wanted to do, I'm good. If Elias was not allowed by the Orioles chairman and CEO John Angelos to do as Elias wanted to do regarding the MLB trade deadline, then I'm not good. 
In Mike Elias, I trust. In John Angelos, in the Angelos family, period, I do not trust. Uh, So let's talk about Jack Flaherty. Uh, This season is his age 27 season and his final season of team control. So Flaherty is a rental. He is set to be a free agent this coming offseason. He does have mediocre numbers for this 2023 regular season. 20 starts, 109 and two-thirds innings, an ERA of 443 an ERA plus of 97, a whip of 155. That is a high whip. Uh, Flaherty did have a good July in terms of ERA, five starts, ERA a 303, but he, for the month of July, also had a high whip, 142. This is a guy who is putting guys on base, but he overall is a solid league average type starting pitcher. And honestly, There is value in that. Uh, He also has some playoff experience. Flaherty, during his time with the Cardinals, made four postseason starts, and he, over those four starts, was good. 23 innings, an ERA of 352, a whip of 126, a strikeouts per nine innings of 11.7. This was Mike Elias during a video session with reporters on Tuesday evening on Jack Flaherty. I think that uh, the big takeaway for me is that uh, Jack's... um, got a lot of good experience in a great organization. Um, he's a very athletic pitcher with, with four really quality pitches up to 97 works in the mid nineties. Um, all of his pitches great above average from a scouting perspective. Um, and we need help with the innings load down the stretch. We've got a lot of young starters, um, that haven't done this before. Um, you know, we've got, uh, members of our relief corps that are injured or tired, um, and so we were just looking for pitching help in all shapes and sizes. It was a, a very challenging market. Uh, I think I talked about it before. Um, people have commented that this was a seller's market, but um, it seemed like the landscape and the standings and the uh, rules in place with the extra wild card combined to create a very small number of um, selling teams. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy that we were able to make what I view to be a quality trade and a good acquisition and somebody that checks off a, a need for us here going down the stretch. Notable to hear Mike Elias say, quote, we need help with the innings load down the stretch, end quote. Uh, that is true, especially given that the O's this past Sunday afternoon announced that they, after the previous night's game, had optioned the man who had been their best starting pitcher for so much of this season, the struggling Tyler Wells to double-A buoy. Uh, also notable that Elias called this year's trade market, quote, very challenging, end quote. Uh, other starting pitching acquisitions leading up to this year's trade deadline included the Tampa Bay Rays trading for the Cleveland Guardians' Aaron Savali, uh, the Texas Rangers trading for the Mets' Max Scherzer, the former national, uh, and trading for the Cardinals' Jordan Montgomery, uh, the Houston Astros trading for the Mets' Justin Verlander, the Philadelphia Phillies trading for the Tigers' Michael Lorenzen. All of those guys uh, would have been sexier than getting Jack Flaherty. But that doesn't mean that all of those guys over the final two months of this regular season will do better than Flaherty will do. You know, what we don't know is what Mike Elias and the Orioles front office see in Jack Flaherty. The O's have Elias. uh, They have this guy, Sig Meidel, who is the Orioles vice president and assistant general manager in charge of analytics. The O's now are all in on analytics. Uh, what might the O's see in Flaherty that makes them think that they can get production out of him? 
down the stretch of this season. And the O's at this point deserve a benefit of the doubt with something like that. They undermine Elias. The last two seasons have demonstrated an ability to get a lot out of guys who, when acquired, don't necessarily seem like much. Uh, well, the O's so far in their four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays have not had a starting pitching problem. Uh, Monday night, a 4-2 win in which Kyle Gibson allowed one run in six innings. And Tuesday night, a 13-3 win as Kyle Bradish was good. And the O's, Joe Angel, again, we're in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That is right, Joe. The win column. Uh, the O's for this regular season now are 66 and 41. Uh, now, the Rays on Tuesday night did win two, 5 2 at the New York Yankees. So the O's still have a one and a half game lead on the Rays for the best record in the American League and for first place in the American League East. But the O's now are seven and a half games ahead of the Blue Jays, who are third in the American League East. And yeah, Kyle Bradish on Tuesday night was good. Uh, He allowed three runs in seven innings with seven strikeouts versus one walk. I gave up just four hits. Uh, Now, three of the hits were extra base hits. He gave up two home runs, a double and a single. He issued a wild pitch. He threw 98 pitches, 64 strikes versus 34 balls. Uh, Kyle Bradish now uh, has the championship belt of being the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season. Bradish now, in this regular season, 20 starts, ERA of 332, a whip of 112. Uh, A terrific season. Also terrific on Tuesday night was the Orioles' offense, a smash job of the Blue Jays. Uh, The O's scored 13 runs, totaled 16 hits, worked five walks, went seven for 16 with runners in scoring position. Uh, The 16 hits were comprised of two homers, four doubles, and 10 singles. Anthony Santander. Uh, He on Tuesday night as the Orioles' starting right fielder and number three batter, three for four, with a grand slam, two singles, and a walk. Santander and an Orioles a four-run eighth, a two-out, full-count, grand slam to right field for an 11-3 Orioles lead, despite having been down in the count at one point, 1-2. The homer went and projected 403 feet per stat cast. Uh, Anthony Santander for this regular season is number two among all qualified Orioles in OPS at 817. Number one is Gunnar Henderson at 820. And Henderson on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting DH and number five batter went three for five with a solo homer, a two-run single, another single, and an RBI fielder's choice grounder. Uh, Henderson in the Orioles one-run sixth had a tie-breaking leadoff homer just over the wall in the right field corner for a 4-3 Orioles lead. Uh, That homer went just 335 (laughs) projected feet per stand cast, but a home run is a home run. Uh, And Henderson in the Orioles three-run seventh had a two-out, two-run single up the middle and off Blue Jays shortstop Santiago Espinal uh, and into left field for a 7-3 Orioles lead. And this two-run single was great because it came off the Blue Jays intentionally walking Austin Hayes to get to Henderson 
for a lefty-lefty matchup. Yeah, good strategery by the Blue Jays right there. Uh, Adley Rutschman, he on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number one batter, two for four with a double, an RBI single, and a walk. Rutschman hit an Orioles a two-run first, a leadoff first pitch, opposite field double to the right center field gap. Rutschman in the Orioles, one run second, a two-out RBI single up the middle on a one-two pitch for a 3-0 Orioles lead. Uh, Adley Rutschman for this regular season is number three among all qualified Orioles in OPS at 797. And Ryan Mountcastle, aka the Blue Jays killer, the Blue Jays destroyer, uh, this guy slaughters (laughs) Blue Jays pitching. Uh, He on Tuesday night as the Orioles starting first baseman and number two batter, three for four with Two RBI doubles, a single, and a walk. Mountcastle in the Orioles, a two-run first, an RBI double off the base of the left center field wall for a one nothing Orioles lead. Uh, and Mountcastle in the Orioles, a three-run seventh, a one-out first pitch RBI double to left field for a 5-3 Orioles lead. Ryan Mountcastle owns the Blue Jays. This really is something. If you are an Orioles fan, you know this, but Mountcastle just mashes against Toronto. You can always tweet me at Al Galdi. Got this from Jim Wynn on Tuesday night. Ryan Mountcastle's continued demolition of the Jays is just incredible. Time for Galdi to queue up the classic Arnold soundbite on the pod. For Wednesday. Uh, yes, Jim, here you go. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Yes, thank you, Arnold. Ryan Mountcastle, he is the daddy. He is the father <laughs> of the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, and then the Orioles bullpen on Tuesday night was good. Uh, two Orioles relievers combined for two scoreless innings with four strikeouts. CNL Perez faced three batters and got two outs, both via strikeout. And Joey Crable, uh, he is back and he on Tuesday night was good. One and a third perfect innings with two strikeouts. The O's on Sunday selected the contract of Crable from AAA Norfolk. Game three for the O's at the Blue Jays, Wednesday night at 7.07. Grayson Rodriguez will be the Orioles' starting pitcher. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Thursday show, episode 625. We'll provide you with more on the commanders. Also, I'll talk Nationals and Orioles. And that's on Wednesday afternoon at 105 of game three of a three-game series against the Milwaukee Brewers at Nationals Park. The O's on Wednesday night at 7.07 of game three of a four-game series at the Toronto Blue Jays. Have a great rest of your Wednesday and Talk to you on Thursday. Hey, where the plates at? Spread the word. The JCPenney Friends and Family Sale is back. And this week, we're passing the savings on to you. Use your extra 30% off coupon to prep your home and style your family for Easter. That's extra savings on top of our great low prices. Plus, share your coupon with everyone you know and love. It's always better when we save together. JCPenney. Make everybody count. Offer valid 311 through 317. Exclusion supply. See store or jcp.com for details.